Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode of Founders Talk is brought to you by Vettery. Vettery is a hiring marketplace that connects top tech talent with growing companies. And all candidates are fully vetted before appearing on the platform. Vettery is also making Monday morning something to celebrate with a fresh batch of fully vetted candidates every Monday. If you're a startup or anyone looking to expand your technical teams, Vettery's matching algorithm will connect you with highly qualified tech, sales, and finance candidates. And they've also released a comprehensive tech salary report for 2018 with insights from actual employer hiring for top technology positions in New York City, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and Washington, D.C. Use this report to learn exactly how much software engineers are getting paid so you can make the right offers when building your team. And this report is available to you, a listener of Founders Talk, absolutely free. Head to vettery.com slash Founders Talk to learn more and download this report. Once again, that's vettery, V-E-T-T-E-R-Y.com slash Founders Talk. to Founders Talk. I'm Adam Stachowiak, host of this podcast and editor-in-chief of changelaw.com. On this show, I talk to founders, CEOs, and makers about their journey, their lessons learned, and the behind the scenes of their company. And on today's show, I'm talking with Brian Helmig, the CTO of Zapier, which started in 2011 as a three-person side hustle. They ultimately applied to Y Combinator twice, and this year they hit $35 million in annual revenue. We talked to the backstory of starting the company, being one 100% distributed, the flexibility as well as the constraints of being remote only, how they reach product market fit, growth strategies, scaling their teams, and how they bring everyone together for company-wide retreats every single year. We're here today with Brian Helmig, CTO of Zapier. And Zapier makes you happier, right, Brian? That's correct. I heard that once, right? That's, that's a fun thing. Yeah, it helps you uh, pronunciate it correct. <laughs> <laughs> it has different ways to be pronounced. I think I began with this in the pre-call by saying a whole different way, but let's not go into that. Let's let's dive more so into kind of this grand story. You've got uh, you got Zapier, the company that you founded, I think in 2011. Is that right? Yeah, end of 2011. End of 2011, and to date, you've hit. 35 million in annual revenue, which is nothing to shake a stick at. That's tremendous. But obviously you begin at zero, like pretty much every startup, right? So let's cover that journey. Let's cover the story. I think you were uh, in 2011, you guys have an interesting way you connected to through Hacker News. Is that right? It's funny. The way that I met Wade and Mike were both separate. We were were in university together uh, at Mizzou. Um, I had been playing... uh, in a jazz combo with Wade. Wade is a jazz saxophonist, quite a stellar one at that. And I was playing uh, jazz bass and we got together through that and learned each other, started working a bit together. But the way I met Mike uh, was actually through Hacker News. There was, I can't remember the site's name. I think it was like Hacker Newsers or it was basically like a like a Hacker News overlay uh, on a map. Uh, and I think the only two people in Columbia, Missouri was Mike and myself. Uh, so he had reached out to me uh, about that. And we grabbed beers and I think there was there was a startup weekend happening 
uh, in a couple months and we talked about maybe doing that together and just kind of stayed in touch uh, until we all kind of kind of culminated uh, that one fateful kind of weekend uh, at the, I think the first inaugural uh, startup weekend in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, and that's really kind of where Zapier came together uh, for the first time, uh, at least the, the three of us. That's interesting you mentioned Startup Weekend as part of your beginnings because uh, I came to Houston, which is where I live at now, in 2007. And that summer was the was actually, I believe, the second or maybe third official Startup Weekend. Right. It was the first one here in Houston, but like it was such early days that like I was like, oh, you're going to build a, a startup in a weekend? Yeah. <laughs> Almost laughable because no. You're not. You're going to have a really good idea and maybe collect a somewhat of a team that may resemble the future of this company if it ever even begins as a company. In lots of cases, the internet was new or newish and lots of bad ideas. But what did you did you end up attending and doing something there? What what happened? Yeah, we we all attended. Well, we were all also working at this company in Columbia called Veterans United. Um, so we had been like not just like on the side, but even like working a little bit together. And so we were always like chatting over like uh, the IM about like, oh, well, maybe it'll be this idea or that idea. So the, the one we ended up pitching was called, well, I think we called it API Mixer at the time. So the idea was, you know, we've been doing some contracting stuff on the side where you build these little forms to connect MailChimp to your CRM and like just all these like little kind of bespoke, but very repetitive sort of like integrations. And the idea was, well, why don't we just why don't we just have a thing that kind of like intermixes these and you get kind of the n squared number of connections and it all kind of uh, uh, you can kind of build these like bespoke integrations with off the shelf parts. Uh, and that was the pitch. And it's funny enough that we never really pivoted from that first idea uh, because it was basically in in existence, like the idea uh, was the one that we brought uh, to the market and ended up being really uh, resonating with uh, customers. But that first thing we pitched was very much, I think uh, the, the the initial pitch pitch was, you know, uh, bu busy work is like nonsense. You, will, you should automate all this stuff and we're going to make it easier or something to that effect. Um, and we, we hacked uh, all weekend. I don't think we slept more than maybe six hours amongst the, <laughs> uh, all of us uh, over the 54 hours I think you get. Uh, to put it together. Um, we ended up actually winning uh, the Startup Weekend, which was really fun. I think we got like two grand or something uh, to start uh, and just kind of away we went from there. It was it was awesome. I, I really recommend folks go check out Startup Weekend. It's, it's a ton of fun. It's a great org. Uh, it's a great way to spend a weekend. And clearly some some good results. Like I, I kind of poked a joke there saying that not that nothing comes successfully out of there, but like the feasibility of building a company a weekend. But I guess in the 54 hours, you actually proved maybe even your first version of product market fit was, which was like actually getting a goal, you know, winning was validation that it's a good direction. Somebody at least thinks it could be a good idea. Yeah, it was definitely, and winning was exciting. Um, it, it's kind of funny because in the end, winning startup weekend means not a lot. It all comes down to like bringing it to the market. So that was like our next our next step was really like, how do we scale this out, prove this is useful? And it's funny, the the next thing we built after kind of the proof of concept of like, what could this like even look like, uh, which is what we really did uh, for the Startup Weekend was, how do we get this in front of users and verify that they 
they care uh, that they would pay for this. And what we ended up doing, we spun up, I'm going to say like hundreds or even thousands of landing pages for all these different combinations of uh, services that you might want to use. Uh, so you think like GitHub and Trello and uh, Asana and um, you know Salesforce, you name it. We were spinning up all these landing pages. Granted, none of this stuff existed, right? Like we didn't have any of these connections built out yet, um, but people would come and find it and they would just click in and go to sign up and we would uh, initially just collect their email. Um, past that, we started to say, well, you will, you're, you're gonna be in a line. I think it was like you, 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 would, you would be at the end of the line and then you get an invite or something like that, get an invitation. And then we started saying, well, you can skip the line and join immediately if you pay five bucks now. Um, and we had a ton of people start doing that, which was frantic because we would literally get the email that someone paid for Salesforce to Asana and I'll be like, oh crap, we, we actually have to build this now. So we That's would so funny. frantically, we'd frantically build it like uh, over you know a matter of hours. And by then we had kind of this abstracted thing internally and we could build these APIs and these endpoints and these connections really quickly. Um, I think like it was common for us to turn around a new connection in 45 minutes, right? Uh, so someone would sign up and we would build it and then they'd get their invite and say, here it is, uh, check it out. And that was amazing just because we were able to, to validate that people cared enough to put their credit card in. And we didn't, we really didn't care that much about the, the price. I think it was like $1 to start, then maybe $5 or something. We just wanted to see if people would be willing to put their credit card in and right. pay for this thing. And that really, that had a lot of really good effects. Um, we were almost like putting the, uh, the boundaries on what we would spend time on with alignment to like revenue and growing uh, the business and value because people aren't going to put their credit card in if it's not useful to them. So that naturally drove us to uh, business use cases, um, which is where we're really at today is small, medium businesses. I mean, that's really what we do. We help connect all these services. So that's, that's basically what we were doing uh, at the very, uh, very beginning. Um, and that's why, I, you know, earlier I was saying we, we never ended up pivoting is because like that whole like process itself, like molded us into what was like valuable for the user from, you know, day zero, really. Yeah. Uh, so that, that was, that was, a, that was, you know, looking back on that, that was definitely something that we did. Uh, I, I would like to say really intentionally, because uh, at least we put the stuff up, but also very uh, happy accident that it all kind of like lined up the way it did. I think, I mean, you had me at spinning up hundreds to 1000 ish landing pages to promote various services, the, the whole smoke screen effect of like, you know, as an engineering team or as a new startup, understanding your focus is like, okay, what do people actually care about? I can only imagine that that's the, the model there was a growth hack to say, where should our team focus? And then the second side of that, which got me even more excited was that was adding the skip the line aspect, which I think is a tremendously, if, if somebody's listening to this and they glossed over that part, rewind, go back and listen, because that's a gem. I'm going to try and I'm going to try to find a way to apply that to us when we do, because Keeping the line is really interesting and then validating the fact that they'll actually pay something and helping you right. focus, right? What, what did that do for you? It really helped us. I mean, it, it brought us to find like the use cases that our users cared about. Um, to give some examples uh, to make it less abstract, like when, when you're a recruiter, um, you might have uh, an application form, right? And things are coming in through that and you want to change it and customize it. So maybe you'll reach for something like Typeform 
um, and you're using services like uh, like Workable or maybe you're not even using a real like ATS. You just want to use Trello to start, right? Um, so these people were searching for stuff um, or looking for solutions for things that would connect Typeform to Workable or to Trello or whatever, or Wufu or all these different like form software to um, an ATS or a product, product management. And those were the sorts of things that really became clear as a result of doing that. Um, we were intimately like working with customers uh, because we would basically need them to like lightly spec out what they wanted us to build, what they just paid five bucks for, right? Um, so that was really critical. We just spent all our time talking to users. Uh, I mean, we had folks who would, and still to this day, um, they would be doing these crazy Rube Goldberg workflows where they'd have these like Google Sheets set up and they'd add like a new row. And as soon as like the system would detect a new row, it would send like uh, a DocuSign or a hello sign, like uh, uh, a signature request to that email address added to the row. Um, and they'd be just building all these like crazy and interesting uh, workflows and constantly like bringing us into the loop, uh, talking with them to really figure out what they wanted uh, out of the product. And that was, to, the key thing was there was just that feedback loop, right? You know, I'm, I, I'm a dev, uh, at heart. So I'm always like looking for that quick feedback loop of writing code, testing and checking. You want to do the same thing uh, as you're trying to stand up a product. Uh, you want to get in front of customers as fast as possible, get their feedback and iterate on it. Uh, there's no real difference between that except, uh, you know, the specific motions that you're going through. For us, it was it was all about get them to, you know, buy into the value that it is, get them telling us what that is or not, you know, by, by opting out. Uh, kind of excluding things that weren't that interesting uh, to us. Uh, and that really helped us hone the product itself over time. So that, that's really what that kind of did for us and kind of put us on the path. So we're talking a little bit about, you know, kind of hacking, so to speak, to, to get that feedback loop. People can't underestimate the importance of a feedback loop. But, you know, to get to the point where you're at today, you've got Startup Weekend in your path. You've got Y Combinator in your path. What's the, what's, is there an interesting story around, the pitch there, how does that play into the the company you are today? Yeah, it's funny, you, you mentioned Y Combinator. We actually applied to Y Combinator twice. Um, really? It was, yeah, the first time they just flat out reached out. It was, it was, it was a nice email. Um, also, if you want a good, you know, a hot tip for folks out there, if you want a good rejection email, uh, go find the Y Combinator one. They're, it's a really thoughtful one. Um, you can use it in a lot of stuff. Uh, the We were rejected just straight out. And it, it makes sense because we were very... We were pre-revenue. This is like right out of like startup weekend. Um, but you know, our kind of like attitude about that about that was just we're we're just going to keep going, right? Like we wanted to do this. We wanted to see it uh, shape up, and that's like the apparently in hindsight the right attitude. Uh, and six months later, we applied again. But by then, we had I want to say like a thousand or fifteen hundred different people who had paid. $5 a month. We still haven't, or not, I don't think it was $5 a month even at that time, actually. I think it was just five bucks to get in. So we, we didn't have that much revenue and no recurring revenue. We hadn't even like officially launched, but it was really apparent at that point in time that what we were doing was like useful. Um, and that, and it's funny, like we even went back and looked at like our different applications, our first one and our second one. The second one is so much better. And it had, it had way fewer words in it. It was just more of the facts of like, we have X many users doing this. This is why it's important. Like we had, it was very clear that like we had grown a huge amount at that point. Um, so that was, that was like 
kind of an interesting uh, uh, kind of comparison point of those two points. It's, it's kind of it's kind of often hard to look back and see two distinct like uh, points of growth, but here are like uh, for us that, that those are those are interesting to look at uh, in terms of how they show that Zapier had grown in those six months, those first six months. Yeah, even if it wasn't recurring revenue, it was some sort of um, you know, black and white kind of example of saying, you know, here's the value we're bringing to this amount of people. And it's, it's clarity rather than, uh, you know, just obscure that, you know, when you're presenting to somebody that says, Hey, yeah, we want to let you into our incubator. We might even give you funding as part of this. Like you've got to do something to show that you've done something to prove your worth and fit to a small set of people. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And even better is we, I think the magic trick was we didn't, we weren't doing that to, to get into Y Combinator, like at all, like, yeah, that's just how you build a business. And it's, that's what, you know, accelerators, that's what investors, that's what, when it comes to all that stuff, if that's the route you want to go, that's not the route that we like really doubled down on over time. But if you want to go that route, the, the, the things you optimize for are really closely aligned with just building the business and building a great uh, company from the top. So you know, it, it it's funny that those come off as a result, but those weren't like the intent. And I actually think that's that's an important thing to kind of like distinguish uh, mm-hmm. is that you're, you're just trying to build the company. You're trying to grow the revenue. You're trying to add value to uh, the product and deliver it to users. Uh, and that's the critical pass. The rest of the stuff are, you know, options for how you might accelerate it or how you might uh, fund it or whatever. Those are like, those are like secondary things, not the primary thing. And we, we always took that uh, approach as well. And it, and it certainly served as well. So I assume second pitch, you got in, you got accepted to YC. Is that correct? That's you, correct. You yeah, actually we went got through it. it. Yep. Yep. We did. And that was the summer of 2012, I believe. Yeah. And we moved out to California, the whole thing. So you're in Missouri. This is a side hustle. We haven't talked really much about the side hustle aspect right. of this, which I'm really curious. about, like how you even keep life afloat i'm not sure what age you were at this time and how much risk you could absorb but those are all factors in your ability to three people collect together and be scrappy about building a startup and then move to a whole different city and and whatnot so you went into yc what was the yc program like for you and did it did it was it helpful did it make you the company you are today or did it help you get to the next level yeah i think it was helpful um it's not a substitute for other stuff, if that makes sense. Uh, it's not a substitute for the work that really builds a company. And they'll, I mean, any any accelerator worth their salt will tell you that, like, hey, this is this is your show. Like, you're you're the stars here. You're running it, right? Um, we're just here to lend a hand. Um, overall, I mean, it was a great it was a great program. It was the 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 most useful thing as I look back on it is just being in a fast moving stream where everyone else is like swimming, swimming, and you're in there too. And you're trying to keep up. You're trying to uh, stay ahead of things. It's, it, it kind of just puts you in that place where, you know, past summer we just worked. I don't think we slept a whole lot. We just worked, worked, worked. We worked, you know, 16 hour days pretty regularly because we were just like, we were like madmen. We just, we just loved working uh, on this product. It was so exciting. And some of that excitement came from the accelerator, came from like the peers inside of Y Combinator, uh, the other startups that were going through it. Um, so I think back on that and it kind of gave us, it gave us the the space, like a really healthy space to create Zapier. And that was the only focus. We weren't doing anything else. Like you mentioned side hustle. That's, that's how it started. I think Wade, 
who's now our CEO, one of the other founders, uh, along with Mike. Wade went uh, full time first uh, early 2012. Um, and then whenever we got accepted to Y Combinator, it was basically permission for us all to just go 100% full time. Mike dropped out of grad school. I quit our job. We all had like relationships. We moved everyone out to, I think Wade was married already. Um, I was getting married later in the year. We just moved everyone out to California at that point. So really it just was kind of, Y, y Combinator really helped us bring it to a head, right? Make it happen and really kind of commit to it. And for that, that was like, that was probably one of the key things uh, about you know, going through an accelerator that made it really valuable for us at least. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you need something to take that first leap, right? Like some, some something is, is um, holding the team back, so to speak, from saying, you know what, we know this is, we have faith in this, we're working on it. Sure, it's our side hustle. We're enjoying the process, whatever it is, we're validating but there's always something that's like, what's that thing that's going to say everybody goes in and we actually start building? And that's interesting that, I mean, Y Combinator has such a great name. In 2011, it was still had a great name. It had a great name then as well. It was, you know, the beginning of incubators, so to speak. Like they were the, the poster child for doing it right. And, uh, you know, just the discounting the fact that what an impression that had on your team to say, let's go all in. So. Let's let's go to that moment then of like okay everybody's in San Francisco you're in this incubation process what's that like what what were you doing what was the point of it Yeah I mean if I think back of what we were doing um we were we were just in this tight loop of writing code and talking to users which is what YC will tell you to do which is a great default loop to be in write code ship it talk to your users go back write code ship it talk to users rinse, repeat, and just keep doing that uh, at the basic level. Um, I think there's also a third point you're supposed to exercise as well. Um, that <laughs> like was physically? the third one. We, yeah, it was, uh, it was like added as one and we never, we never did that. <laughs> so uh, we just did the first two. Uh, but that was like really, really at the heart of it. I mean, it's simple, it's elegant, that's what we did. So what it, what it turned out, I mean, in that summer, we built our developer platform, which we were building these, like I said, all by our, all these like apps by ourselves. Like we were literally like coding them up at the last minute, right? Not only did we launch uh, and had real recurring revenue at that point and converted all those users that were using us, we, we charged like, I think, uh, I can't remember what we charged. Um, uh, it was, I don't know, like, like 15 bucks a month or something, whatever. And that really kind of started changing stuff uh, for us because now we had customers that had the constant uh, kind of uh, 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 pressure on us to deliver for this product. Um, then we built the developer platform uh, that let us reach out to partners um, and have them build on Zapier uh, instead of us literally being the bottleneck to building them all from scratch. Um, and that really helped change. We had a, a couple partners launch with us at the end of the summer. Um, and it's funny to kind of look back at how like quick you can just like spin these things up and um, iterate on these when that's like your sole focus. And when your user base is a lot smaller, you can kind of afford to uh, move faster and break more things than uh, once you get larger. Uh, but that was just that's when I look back on that, that's just what comes to mind for me is just how quickly we iterated on stuff, how quickly we ship stuff, the kind of fundamental things that got put in place, our subscription services, our uh, developer platform, all these things like they date back to that like summer. 
Um, so we were just we were just like working like dogs for that summer. This episode of Founders Talk is brought to you by Rollbar. Catch errors before your users do. Resolve errors in minutes. Deploy with confidence. Rollbar is loved by developers, trusted by enterprises. And most of all, we use Rollbar here at ChangeLog. You can give Rollbar a try today at no cost to you. No credit card is required. Our listeners get access to the Bootstrap plan with 100,000 events for free for 90 days. To get started, head to rollbar.com changelog. So we're at Y Combinator. You've gone through the process. You got three co-founders. Not really a company yet, but you've got some proof that there should be or could be one there. You've got, you know, you've kind of extrapolated to the future where we're at now, but zoomed back and said, well, hey, things successful like your developer platform and various things go back to those days and the focus that you had there. Let's go to now the place of of scaling your team because you can't be three for long. Right. I'm assuming when did you start to add employees and what was, say, a headcount of, of year one or year two? Yeah, so throughout that summer, it was just us three. Um, as we left that summer, uh, there was demo day and all that, and we raised a little bit of money. That was when we really turned to like, okay, we want to grow the team. Um, and by then, we were just doing, like, this is a great place to be. Like, if you find yourself, like, just completely, like, inundated by, like, uh, talking to customers and support and, like, this, like, customer, like, uh, centric like thing taking up your time that's a great sign and our first hire to like handle that was our very first support person um uh, micah who was a friend of he was employee number one at zapier he was a friend of wade's um and we knew he knew him from uh from college and i think he was like admin like an admin for a uh for a i think a baseball forum like a cubs baseball forum so the idea was like okay if you can handle unruly like Cubs fans, like, all right, you can handle some <laughs> customer support. Uh, and we knew he was just a smart, good dude. Um, so we brought him on as our first person. And he was at that time in Chicago. Uh, so that was that really kind of set, planted the first seed for like remote for us. Um, we didn't want to make him move. Um, and the next people we were looking at, uh, uh, it was uh developers back in Columbia, Missouri, back in our hometown that we really liked and respected. We knew that they were, they had families, they weren't going to move. Um, and we were already doing a lot of our work in this asynchronous remote manner. Like we would, we would work next to each other, but never talk to each other. We would just chat over in those days. I don't think it was Slack. It was like hip chat or something. Um, so we were using that to like communicate. Um, and we would, we weren't really even like talking to each other, like in real life. So that really was the beginning of how we just kind of stumbled onto this uh, idea of doing remote. There was a few companies doing it at the time, um, but none like super large. Uh, so we just de facto started doing that. That was so. Those are our first hires. That was support person um, and then two engineers. Um, those are our first three, um, and those were all folks we knew back from that we trusted. We knew were smart, um, and that, I think that's a great way to get your first uh, couple employees. Um, so that was, I think that was probably even, maybe that was like even by the next summer, I think we had hired 
uh, I think we might, might have hired a marketer by then, Danny, uh, one of our first marketers. Uh, and by then, I think the team was like six or seven people the next summer. So that year after Y Combinator, we hired three people, I think, three people. Um, so it was it was very slow, which is a little bit different from a lot of uh, a lot of like companies. You you raise money and you just like, all right, let's spend it all. Let's like, hire, yeah. Generally, yeah, yeah, let's hire. And we didn't do that because by the end of that summer, we were really starting to ramp up on the revenue side. And we raise the money because well, we wouldn't hire our friends. We're not we can't pay them with you know Zapier bucks like you have to pay them <laughs> real currency. Not yet. So yeah, yeah. So we that's where we did that but it became pretty obvious like going into like 2013 um as we were hiring that you know third second and third uh employee that okay we we can get profitable like let's let's focus on that so that's really where we spent a lot of our time uh, is just trying to grow the revenue side of stuff uh, really investing uh in any projects and new work that could get us there uh and we were pretty successful in that and that helped us helped us it guided the way we grew the team. Like we didn't hire until it hurt, right? Um, it helped us get to this, you know, really fiscally responsible place. Um, it helped us control our own destiny. We didn't have to go back to uh, VCs to raise um, money uh, for the next time. Uh, it was it was just kind of a different way to build a company that I, I don't even think there was really many companies going through YC at the time. So there was no real peers telling us. It just it just organically seemed like the right way to kind of build it for us. So that's that's really how we got started with our first employees in the first year or so. So you said a couple of things in there that were pretty interesting. One, you hired friends, which I think is kind of interesting. Right. Uh, trying to find not so much rando people out there, or just job apps in general. I, I would say that finding friends is pretty good because you kind of maybe somewhat like them or can anticipate liking them. Uh, I'm curious, you, you said the next year in you had pretty decent revenue. So that means that you, were you profitable? Were you, you know, and did you, at what point did you take any money? Was YC incubation and some money to sort of get started, but was there, right. was there fundraising in that first year? Yeah. Like I said, we did raise, we raised a little over a million dollars um, right out of Y Combinator. Um, we didn't end up burning through a lot of that money um, because it became pretty obvious that we could continue scaling out the revenue side of things. Um, and that's really where we wanted to focus. Um, you didn't, really, you didn't so, really need the money. Probably not, not in hindsight. We didn't know that at the time. <laughs> and at the time, uh, we wanted you needed we wanted it. to make sure. Yeah, you yeah, kind of needed you, insurance. Yeah, looking forward, we were like, okay, we need we need some money if we want to hire some folks. Um, but we were very, I mean, we were really fortunate that the, that the business continued to catch on with customers and it continued to grow. Um, so really fortunate. And I think we got to, I think we got to profitability. Ooh, I don't know if it was that following year, but maybe it was, maybe it was late 2013 or early 2014. I'd have to go back and look, but it wasn't far off, um, for that. Um, so th that was, that was, I mean, that was for whatever reason, we just thought that that was the best way to grow a business, um, <laughs> was to get revenue, uh, in the door. No, that's, uh, that's the right way. I mean, a lot of, I can't say a lot, but I mean, there's there's quite a bit of of like not profitable companies that are great companies, but oh, for sure. great businesses, but maybe not great companies to say, say either work for or have stock in or invest in, but they're great. Uh, but I mean, not everybody thinks like, hey, we should probably actually make money and not just make money, but actually profit. 
Yeah, it's, right. It's sort of counterculture, especially in 2011, 2013 range days. It was still okay to sort of like be several years in and, and like maybe, you know, losing. You know, as yeah, long as you're growing sure. your network, improving your product, it's kind of okay. Yeah. And, you know, those those things are, you know, calculated risks. And I, that was, you know, going back to going into the accelerator, though, we were, we were all about building the core of the business, not like the goal wasn't to get into an accelerator or to get investments or get like, that's not, that's not the measuring stick, right? It's like building a successful business. And we always over, we always over indexed on just mm-hmm. building a successful business. Um, and if that other stuff made sense, we're not like dogmatic about it. I mean, we took investment and we, we, we don't, we don't, we never say never about any of these things, but we, we want to treat it like a tool, like it's not the goal. It's, it's a tool to be used. Um, so that's, that's, that's the way we always like kind of approached building Zapier. And, uh, it's given us a lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, how do you want to say a lot of, a lot of way to kind of direct and own our own destiny as a result, um, which has been really, really useful and a really satisfying way to kind of build a business as well. Um, but yeah, beyond just the pure success of, uh, you know, actually doing it, you know, while we're on the subject of growing your team, can you speak to maybe the listeners out there that are thinking, I'm starting my company, I'm about to start my company, or I'm in these early stages still yet, and I'm feeling the struggles. Can you speak to why hiring friends makes sense versus, say, non-friends? Yeah, I I think, especially in the early days, uh, you need a lot of trust on your team. Like, your culture is going to set in place uh, a lot of things set in motion, a lot of things that are going to be hard to undo. So it's, it's definitely preferable to have people you trust that, you know, are good people that think the think in compatible ways with you. Um, that's really, really critical because there's nothing like a, a, a mishire is always, you know, not great, but when it comprises, you know, one fourth of the company or one fifth of the company, it's extra, it's extra painful, extra painful. Um, and to be to be clear, you don't want to hire just like your buddy from high school or something. You should find people who could fit in these roles really well that you respect. Um, and I, I don't even know if like friend is the right thing to optimize. Let's say friendly, for. friendly people, right? Friend, yeah, someone you know and someone you trust, yeah. someone you're familiar with. That's that's probably what I would like lend on. It just so happened that these were also friends uh uh at least to, to, to some of us like way way new and was went to college with micah so he knew micah through and through um and knew he could do this role and that was the critical piece um not that uh him and wade got along right um that's that's a component of it but we knew he could do the role so it i i think it de-risks a lot of stuff at an already really risky part and t- part of the company um as long as you don't compromise on people who can really do the role right um and for us, I mean, the other thing was like it set us, you know, which I'm really thankful for, it set us on this route of doing remote work. Like, and today we're still 100% remote. Like that, again, just like the developer platform and some of those early things that we did that summer, that first year really set us on the course of building out a remote team, uh, which worked out really well and still works out to this day. We're 100% remote. We we can, if we, if we find an amazing engineer in uh, South America, like, who's just incredible, we can hire him or her. Like we can do that um, because we don't have to convince them to move uh, to uh, the Bay Area or New York or Chicago or anything. Like you don't have to convince them to move. Um, We can just work with amazing people from anywhere. Um, And to me, that's like, 
another thing, like looking back, like as growing that team that uh, kind of kind of set the seat again of where we ended up going uh, and uh, ended up being a right call. All right, given the success of your company being built around 100 percent distributed, it's probably easier for you to say the good things. Right. But I'm going to ask you to talk about the bad things, too, because there's definitely pros and cons on the sides of like, yeah. you know, can, can you speak to, you know, say the limitations or the pros and cons or the ups and downs of being distributed, of being remote? Yeah, that's a great question, because um, it's easy to wax poetic about all the great things it has, which it does have a lot. But, you know, one of the things that uh, you're forced to do when you're a remote company, um, especially remote first um, and for us remote only, uh, is you have to start to put in place structures for communication um, earlier, right? So we were forced to do documentation. We were forced to be explicit about where you communicate uh, on different topics uh, in the medium of communication. That all had to happen early. Um, That wasn't something that could be kind of put off because you could paper over it by just like tapping someone on the shoulder, right? That wasn't really an option for us. and the way that kind of played out was we, we've created different tools for communication. Of course, we use stuff like Slack for that live conversation. We use tools like Zoom uh, uh, for our uh, live calls and video calls. But we created internal tools that, uh, which we call async, which is for asynchronous communication, um, which allows you to publish kind of like a, it's kind of a cross between Reddit meets Twitter meets a blog, kind of. Um, and it allows people to post what they're working on in their projects, post Friday updates, and kind of keep this cadence of things that don't require immediate responses. Because if you go and drop something into Slack about a project, that that chat window is scrolling by every day, like you know, 24/7. It's like moving up and up and up, and it goes, it disappears. Uh, not forever, but you're, it's not, you know, it's not right there in front of you. And the way we saw that was creating these other tools that would put different pieces of information um, in a place that was more consumable in an asynchronous manner. You didn't have to be online to, at the moment that that conversation happened, you could go and see it uh, on async, which is our internal tool. It's the same sort of stuff that you get when you push things to, let's say GitHub and you have issues and you have PRs or you use tools like Trello or Jira and you push, you just try to push as much context into those uh, repositories um, so that folks can pick it up um, afterwards. Um, we've introduced like other tactical things that help us communicate and work. Like a lot of companies will do like standups, right? Um, at the beginning of the day and they'll talk about what they plan on doing. We do what we call, a lot of teams are doing this and all these ideas kind of spread organically. We've started doing uh, this thing called handoffs where we, we will describe what we've done for the day and any blockers and that will hand off the work to Someone who's in a different time zone uh, that might be working on the project with you um, or to your PM so or your manager or whatever so they can get context of what you've been up to or where you got blocked. And you're just trying to engineer your organization's communication structure. And that forcing function happens a lot earlier uh, when you're a remote company uh, because you don't get to just like lean back on that natural face-to-face body language communication thing that comes so natural to uh, to us. So. That, you know, if I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, challenges, that's a big one, right? Like it, it just forces different behaviors more early than you would uh, in a, like a classic, like uh, office environment. Do you feel like remote makes you move slower or faster? I mean, obviously you, you, you can't imagine your company 
not remote. So it's hard for you to like say for sure. But I've always I've been distributed for a long time. I've worked on distributed teams. Our organization is distributed. You know, we're all remote. I can't really remember a time though that I actually worked in office with people for like at least the last decade. So it's been a long time. And I'm curious if, and I always feel kind of like maybe we're moving slower because we're distributed because we can't, you know, have that face to face or just go grab time. And maybe right. those are just all those interruptions you feel like would be benefits, but they're actually distractions. Can you speak to that? Can you speak to like, you know, more specifically like ups and downs of that? Or maybe do you, do you really move slower? Do you really move faster? You know, it's hard with like a like Zapier as a sample size of one. It's hard to be like really confident about that. Um, I don't think we move slower as a result of being uh, remote. Um, and some of the anecdotal evidence I have is when I talk to other companies that are in person in office, like they're, one of their chief complaints is always inevitably, we're moving too slow. We want to move faster. Like I think that's just a baseline uh pressure that you have as a startup or as a company as a business is to move faster to iterate quicker um so i think that's like a fundamental thing that everyone feels and everyone wants to optimize for um i think like a lot of things like remote is like a trade-off right like you get some things uh in return for losing some other stuff i don't think one of the things you lose is speed of delivery uh, because a lot of the other stuff that you get uh, help prop that up. In fact, we have, it's a glut of amazing tools on the web um, that help you do work in a distributed online manner. Like that's like, that's like what they're designed to do. So whenever you're even in office, a bulk of your work is not done through physical interaction with your environment. It's done through a keyboard and a screen, which is no different than what we're doing in remote. The only yeah. difference is in remote Hey, you get to hire amazing people from around the world. Uh, anyone can like work for you. Uh, so you can find really talented, special people to work on that. Um, and everyone's like kind of on the same footing to like work through these sorts of things. And it's you now you embrace this aspect of working uh, instead of you're a little more purposeful about it, uh, if that makes sense. So that's that's really where we focused all of our efforts on. And, you know, I don't I, I can't speak with, you know, perfect confidence that like if we were like in an office all in the same room, we would go faster or slower or not. Um, but, you know, anecdotally, I feel like, I feel like that's a pressure everyone feels like regardless of in person or remote or, or whatever it is. Tell, tell me if this resonates with you because this is something I feel I'm just curious. And if it doesn't, that's fine. I feel like there's times I envy um, the people who have a destination, a headquarters or a location mm -hmm. to go to for the lure of we're all in one place, we're all in this together kind of thing. But the other side of that is the the visuals, right? So being able to create content or videos that support your business that show off like different ways Zapier works or different things that you may be able to do that really requires togetherness face to face. Mm. And so being distributed, you're sort of forced to like really, really, really be intentional about the times you are face to face. And so there's just some yeah. artifacts that come from being together in an office and the branding and just like different things that are easier to show off. I really envy that part, but I also right. really appreciate the distributedness and the benefits of that too. So it's not like I'm like all in on that, but I, I kind of envy that part. Do you feel that way? Yeah, I know what you're saying. Like, I, I think it goes back to the trade-offs. Like you, you definitely get 
you get a little bit of this and lose a little bit of that. And, you know, we, you speak specifically from kind of that, uh, that extra value you get out of being in person. We do still have in person, uh, uh, events at Zapier. Like for example, actually next week, uh, in fact, we're going to be going to, uh, Chattanooga for our entire team retreat. We fly all 170 people from, uh, I think it's like 17 different countries, right? Half the States, U S States. Like we have people from all over. We fly them all into Chattanooga. Uh, in this case, this time we do it all into all different places and we spend a week together and we do like a little hackathon. Uh, we spend time talking about the stuff we really care about as a company. And you know, the really special thing about that is, is when you're with people day in, day out, that's just routine. That energy level is pretty baseline, right? Pretty, uh, pretty like steady. Right. Whenever we get everyone together twice a year, like we do for these retreats, the energy level goes through the roof and the stuff people are able to tackle and dig into and the excitement level is just so high that I've not seen it replicated in an office environment. Even when you try to do like offsites and things like that, it just never, you just never get that high of a peak. And I, to me, that just feels, it also feels really natural that you get to get together, you get together, you spend this time, you work on things that are really important. Um, you have this high for the week and then you go back and you lock into your own environment, your own zone and make things work uh, the way that you like to do them. I mean, especially as like engineers, like that's such like a core thing. Like you're not in an open office. Like I don't think that opus open office kind of like environment is particularly useful for a lot of people. I mean, I'm sure some people love it. Um, but for me, I've always been like, you know what, when I want to concentrate, I want to just sit down. I want to put head, I, I still have headphones, but I want it to be an option that I can like sit down and just like really dig in. So I think you get the best of both worlds in some ways when you have these in-person retreats, you get the high energy level, you dig in on some important problems and then you break and you go back to living, you know, the best life for you. Um, and I don't know, I feel like that, that, that way outweighs the sort of, um, the, the sort of what I think you described as that kind of daily touch points of that. I, I, I think it's, I, th I do think it's just a better way to work. So I have some pretty awesome news to share. We are now partnered with Algolia. If you've ever searched Hacker News, Teespring, Medium, Twitch, or even Product Hunt, then you've experienced the results of Algolia's search API. And as we expand our content, we knew that one day we'd have to either roll our own search solution on top of Postgres, or we could partner up with Algolia. And I'm happy to report that phase one of our search is now powered by Algolia. We're able to fine tune our indexing, gain insights from search patterns and analytics. We can create custom query rules to influence ranking behavior as well as improve our search experience by adding synonyms and alternative correction to queries. Sure, we could build search ourselves, but that would mean we would be busy doing that instead of shipping shows like you're listening to right now. Huge thanks to our friends at Algolia for working with us. Check the show notes for a link to get started for free or learn more by heading to algolia.com. I'm imagining these retreats you have. I'm trying to think, okay, you're going to Chattanooga, Tennessee. Is that right? That's where your, your next retreat is at? Yep. And I'm just thinking, like, I got the back of the napkin here. I'm adding up flights for 170 people. And, like, it's it's no small cost, for one. 
are these things planned to bring people together to work? What's the, what are these retreats about? How do you design these retreats? Well, it's definitely shifted uh, over time. Um, we definitely bring people together to work. Um, we bring people together to like mix um, and, you know, to spend some time celebrating things we've accomplished to plan some of the next stuff. Um, the, they are definitely uh, not cheap. Uh, as a result, we joke that, uh, um, and I've heard other remote uh, companies uh, joke that we save on the office expenses and then spend it on flights, uh, which is certainly true. Uh, but we've, we found them really useful. And I, one of the things that we've like leaned into and kind of settled on has been a hackathon kind of format. And that hackathon format has launched a lot of really interesting stuff inside of Zapier, especially stuff where we may not have a super clear idea on how we could build out something. Uh, classically, there are things like support tools or internal stuff where we're, we're, we're struggling with something and there's no clear way forward. And you get this like ragtag group of folks together and they work on something, they hack something together and it's like incredible. And we've seen that happen many times. Um, so that, that pattern has like really been fruitful for us around hackathons. We do around tables. Um, we have game nights. This is a chance for people to spend just time together, get to know each other, have those personal connections. Um, so all that stuff kind of like culminates into this, what I think is really valuable for us um, uh, to this day. Uh, it does, it is a lot of logistics, you know, hats off to our people off Steam. They do a lot of work to make these happen uh, and go off really well. Uh, but yeah, in the end, they're, they've been like really useful for us. And you said yeah, twice a year, right? Yeah, twice a year. Yeah, every usually every August, give or take, and every January, give or take. Is it a mandatory everybody comes, or is it like, oh, if you can't make it, no big deal? What is what's the situation there? We definitely lean more towards mandatory because it's really useful to have everyone. Uh, but of course, there's all kinds of like situations where uh, you got a you got a baby coming in the following weeks after it. It's like uh, not a good time to travel. Um, all kinds of different reasons like will come up, but we do try to get everyone together. Um, We'll do other retreats around uh, where we have engineers. We get engineering, like we have engineering retreat. Uh, we'll have the support team have a retreat, marketing retreat. And those are more specialized and we make those a bit more optional just because that's a lot of traveling once you yeah. start like uh, stacking these on. Um, we do get people together for onboarding. Every month we do onboarding in person, so uh, for a week. Um, and that's been really useful. Generally, we try to have people uh join a couple weeks do remote get all kind of the basics figured out and then once they have kind of their uh sea legs so to say then we generally will fly a, a big group out to mountain view um every uh every month usually first week of the month second week of the month something like that and we'll do onboarding uh with them um, which is a, another it's kind of a mini retreat um and those are usually a little bit smaller a bit more intimate uh it's usually like a dozen or 15 people something something like that um, so we do have lots of touch points for interaction and we try to, yeah, we try to not make them overbearing cause you overdo it. Uh, it's just too much traveling and, uh, starts to cut into, cut into people's personal lives and it doesn't piece the whole purpose point. of being distributed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If so all you're doing is traveling, we it's like, well, I, I, I traded a, a, you know, go there everyday job to a job exactly. that requires me to go somewhere else several times a yeah. year plus my vacations and my own desires to travel. It's like, come on. Yeah, so you don't want to defeat the whole like purpose, but you still want to give people an outlet to get together. Um, so we, we, try to, we try to balance that, right? We want to yeah. be right in the middle there. 
Um, and we try to be pretty like realistic and open about it. Um, so if, if it doesn't work out in some cases, you know, we'll change it. We'll tweak it. We're not wed to anything. I know back to kind of being pragmatic as a company. We've been wrong many times. I expect we'll be wrong again in the future. So a lot of this stuff is not written in stone. Um, we may, may change the way that we do onboarding. We may uh, consolidate retreats. We may break them apart. Like we'll, we'll constantly be trying this stuff. We have in the past um, and it, we've, we've gotten to a lot better uh, places beyond the local maxima as a result. Yeah. I think it's important too, to realize if you are going to be the kind of company you are, which is distributed. And as you said, remote only, not, not just optionally remote, but remote only that right. uh, you may have to, well, not may, if you choose to go down some of the paths you have, you will absorb travel and flight costs as a result of not having an office cost. So what you thought you might save, you actually spend elsewhere. I'm sure you can, I'm sure you can attribute to that. Yeah, but, definitely. And uh, that's definitely a part of it, but you know, and then I think we, we really think it's worth it. I mean, oh, the, yeah. the I mean, hands down. benefits of being remote. Yeah. It's amazing. So well, one thing you said there was the hackathons and it, and it, when you said that, I thought of like the way you may or may not be treating your company like a community that you nurture. Now you think, you know, I've never gotten to a company where I, I run a company of hundreds of employees. So I don't have that lens like you do, but you know, to think of the people that work in your organization as family for one, but then like community that you constantly nurture, it seems like the hackathons and the gatherings are a way for you to sort of like love on people. Yeah. You know what I mean, like show them, you appreciate them. Can you speak to that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it is, like I said, like I mentioned earlier, like that energy level goes really high. We spend that time to celebrate some of the stuff we've been doing. Um, Cause you know, it's funny, you spend so much time talking about the stuff you want to improve, you want to do better. I mean, for us, like we spend so much time talking about how can we, how can we get more apps to talk together and do more integration work for customers and for partners and all this. And as a result, you spend a lot of time focusing on the problems, right? Um, you spend a lot of time saying, oh, we can do better. We can do better here. We can do better there. Um, to kind of carve out some time and spend a bit of time like looking back and being like, wow, we, we've done a lot here. This is something to be pretty proud of. That's pretty special. And we try to use, we try to use the retreat as a part of that kind of, that kind of opportunity. Use that as an opportunity to kind of talk about those sorts of things. So we definitely do that. Um, we definitely spend the time and you'll see lots of people playing board games. We got a lot of folks who are uh, big board game geeks, myself included. And you, you just get a, you just get a chance to like really get to know the people who are you're, you're working with, you're building like this, this awesome stuff with. Um, and that's, that's important. Having that human connection is really important. And so that's a big reason why we do some of this, some of these, like these retreats, even though they're expensive, even though they're a lot of work to plan, even though they can take away time from your family and stuff, it's certainly a bit of a sacrifice, but, uh, we, we just get a lot out of it as a result. And I think a big chunk of it is, as you say, kind of a chance to celebrate and yeah. uh, bring the team together. Yeah, it's a big part. Something you mentioned, uh, I think, in the first part of the call around the YC days, at least the beginnings of this was then, uh, an aspect of your product is this, this developer platform. And I kind of tongue-in-cheek joked that you can't pay people with Zapier bucks yet. And that was mostly because I had assumed at some point you may have thought about blockchain or crypto <laughs> being involved in like being earned through API. I don't know. I was just, it was a small joke, but I'm just curious about this developer platform, what it is and how it's really helped take your company to a next level because you don't have to build everything now. Like you can actually bring in other teams. I'm not really sure how it works, but can you, can you break that right. for me? 
Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, that's a good question. You know, the Zapier's like the, the power of Zapier is we just have, I mean, we have a thousand, over a thousand, in fact, apps connected and tapping into that network is a big like value, like proposition for a lot of partners, a lot of people building SaaS software today. Um, so that's really where the developer platform started, right? The It's just to handle the scope and the long tailedness of uh, services um, such that anyone can like tie into it. So we have, I mean, we have people who are writing their own like internal APIs uh, that are just their own like company APIs that aren't, you know, productized or anything like that. And they're building apps on Zapier. So their employees can like tie this into uh, Salesforce and Asana and all these other different services. Right. Um, so we see it used in like interesting ways, but the biggest way is definitely just like partners coming to us and building on it. Um, and them being able to tap into the power of Zapier's platform to power integrations. And for them, I mean, it just makes a lot of sense. They, they can write their integration once with Zapier and they automatically get uh, thousands of different connections. And if you do the math, we, we did the math, like uh, it's like, like four, if you just limit it to like two step zaps, um, it's like 14 or 15 million different combinations that you can do. Um, and we'd let you do way more than that. You can build entire strings of workflows now. If you look at that, I mean, it blows up to, you know, a uh, number of atoms in the universe kind of stuff, right? The math is just insane. Um, and, you know, that, that's, that's been a huge, like, a huge boon for us. It's been a huge boon for our users to be able to utilize all these different services and our partners to be able to, like, add on to it. Um, yeah, it's just been... It's just been really interesting. We we haven't ha we haven't leaned into uh, blockchain or any of any of those sorts of things. Um, the the platform really is like an SDK. Um, it's a a CLI tool. Um, we're working on even improved ways to uh, build out. Much like our uh, uh, the workflow editor that users use. It's a very like WYSIWYG. What you see is what you kind of get. You can add your steps and customize them and build some of these complex workflows and. Uh, even simple workflows to make your life a lot better, uh, a lot easier, more automated. We're trying to do the same sort of thing for the platform side and just make it make it even easier for folks to be able to add uh, their own functionality to Zapier. So yeah, it's been a it's been a, it's been a a, a pretty awesome uh, and powerful kind of like uh, lever for us uh, as a company. I guess coming closer to the end of our call, I want to kind of focus a couple questions or, or asks on like maybe specific lessons learned for you you know maybe mm. something in particular that uh, you know may be pretty embarrassing or maybe pretty pretty awesome for you in your journey of building zapier like what are some stories i may not be aware of i couldn't find on the internet that's like lessons learned for you in building this business one of the interesting things and if we want to take it back to hiring uh one of the interesting things is we've come to find that it's better to front load the work on hiring than it is to put it into like, let's say training or something like that. That's not to say stuff like onboarding isn't critically important. Like we like obsess about like the first couple of days, for example, of an engineer's time in Zapier, we want them to put together a small little PR and ship something and make sure it's little. So they learn like the deployment process and then start to add more like meat to the projects and things like that. But when it comes to training, like someone like an hour training, uh, is worth uh, like an order of magnitude more value on the hiring side, um, without a doubt. Like, and especially for 
a company that's remote, like again, we can hire anyone, right? Like that that time is well spent because you have instead of geez, uh, wh- whoever whoever lives within a thirty mile radius of your HQ, we have seven and a half billion people that could potentially work at Zapier. Um, that is a lot of opportunity and a lot of amazing talent in the world. Um, so for us, it's even doubly so. But, you know, if I if I could like write a letter to myself, it would be to like obsess even more about some of the hiring side of things, um, especially since you have this like like superpower, which is hiring remote, um, which, you know, you, you don't have to like like it's, it's better for everyone. No one. You don't have to commute. You don't have to uh, sit in traffic on your way to work. You don't got to deal with like the office sort of like environment. Um, you can be anywhere uh, in the world. You can live the life you want. Like it just makes so much sense. And, you know, for us, it's like you can double down. You can really lean into that. Um, And for us, that's like on the hiring side. Uh, Definitely, you know, time spent on the hiring uh, up front is worth, you know, a ton more uh, spent on training or trying to get people kind of in the right spots and things like that. Um, When when you say time spent, do you mean vetting a person or? Yeah, getting to know them, doing outreach, getting to be part of the community, um, making people aware (laughs) of your company, like. That's, you know, that's just, you know, step zero, right? Uh, that, that, that time is always paid off, like, for us. Um, and it pays off in, 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 in a multiple uh, for us for being remote. Um, so maybe, maybe uh, you know, folks who are out there thinking about building kind of remote team, like, use, lean into the strengths of doing remote. Like, really find those great people. Don't settle uh, for, you know, folks who are, uh, like, ah, maybe I could see it kind of thing. Really, really focus in on those great folks. Um, that's, that, that's really worth it. Uh, in the end. One question I'd like to ask is something super secret. So uh, imagine there's something that, you know, about Zapier that you're going to do that no one knows something on the horizon, maybe a new product could be, uh, it just anything. I'm not even sure what it could be. Something super secret. No one else knows about it. It's on the horizon of what you're doing that could be shared here today? Hmm. Super secret on the horizon that no one knows about. Maybe that not. I could many also, yeah, that I could also share. Um, you know, there's some things I can't share. I would, <laughs> I would be a... Uh, Tease uh, if you can. Tease. Yeah. So I can talk a little bit about our, our developer platform because I talked a smidge about it. Yeah. One of the things we're trying to do... Uh, is make it even easier to use our developer platform. We've kind of bounced, but the very first one was kind of uh, uh, built in, again, in a hurry over that summer that we talked about. And yeah, I'm not gonna say it was the greatest uh, uh, greatest design product of all time, but it worked, it, it, it served its purpose. We've added the CLI version to that because we had lots of uh, devs coming in that wanted to build and they didn't want to be building it in, uh, in a browser. Um, they wanted to be working with a, a normal like SDK. Uh, it's a Node.js SDA for us. Um, but then we kind of saw this like diverging of the two platforms. And really what we're trying to do is bring them back together and and do what what we wanted to do in the first place. Like what we if we could have built the perfect thing or the better thing in the early days, that's what we're really spending time on now. Um, so I'd expect uh, folks who are thinking about uh, adding integrations or any of that stuff, like keep an eye on Zapier platform over the next couple of months. We've got some really cool stuff coming uh, there um, that should that should make it even easier to add lots of cool use cases to Zapier 
um, and uh, give, give users even more ways to connect the tools that they love, right, that they're using every day. Um, it's adding that, you know, 1,000th and one, 1,000th and second and third app uh, to Zapier, uh, making it even easier. So that's, I, I can't talk a whole lot about the details there, but it's definitely coming and uh, it, it'll be really cool. What's the best way if someone's listening and thinking, I want to follow along or catch up or get an update when this may or may not happen? What are the best channels to maybe catch on to that that are like sort of like zap your updates? Yeah, I, I, the best way is just to get signed up uh, on uh, zapier.com. You can get an account. You get a dev accounts free. You don't have to you don't have to get approved. You don't have to pay money. You don't have to do anything. Anyone can create uh, a developer account and start like working on it. Um, in fact, Zapier has free free trials. You can even start using it and playing with it. Uh, building your own workflows. Um, it's definitely uh, got a pretty useful like free tier to it. Um, so I would recommend that. Uh, we definitely, uh, if you're in the persona of a dev or you're using some of the dev tools, we'll, we'll find a way to let you know about it. Uh, but uh, all the kind of standard ways also apply. You can check us out on Twitter. Um, you can sign up to our newsletters like on our blog. We'll definitely do announcements there. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely recommend folks just give Zapier a spin. Um, and uh, we'll definitely let you know about all the cool stuff that we caught coming because we got a lot of a lot of cool things cooking these days. So obviously it was fun hearing this backstory from Startup Weekend, kin- Kindred Spirits, so to speak. I mean, considering we've both been through one and <laughs> you built a company around one, I just uh, I participated and walked away. Uh, so different aspects of it, but like quite a journey you've been on to get to where you're at. Everything from, you know, YSC, fundraising, interesting ways to hire, hiring friends, the whole journey. In closing, what what advice could you share for those listening who are, uh, would be or should be founders uh, and, and makers of a company? You know, the, the best advice is usually the simplest. Um, I would say find that, find that feedback, that iteration loop that you can kind of get obsessed about, right? And to me, the closer it can get to write code, talk to users, rinse, repeat over and over, that's like that's like the magic loop. It's building a company, building a business. It it's a lot of work, but it's not complicated, right? It's really the core loop is really simple. Um, most things great are um, that that would be like my number one thing is figure out how customers get value out of your service and obsess over that. Don't obsess about the other stuff. Don't obsess about fundraising. Don't obsess about, uh, you know, being seen as the darling in like PR. Don't obsess about any of this other stuff that I would probably put into like the cargo culting. You see other companies like you see Slack, like everybody loves Slack and they're an amazing company. But the reason everyone talks about them is because the amazing product they built, not the other way around. They didn't build a great product because everybody talked about it. You know what I mean? Like this is like these are like the fundamentals. So obsess about that. Don't obsess about the other stuff. Um that would be like my key thing. And if you can find a way to really just, I keep saying obsess, like where you can't like, you can't not do it and you can find out how to nurture that. That's like, that's like where the power is really. Cause then, you, then you'd rather be doing that than anything else. And you know, you're onto something. Um, so that would be, that would be my core piece of advice. It isn't, <laughs> it isn't the most tactical. Uh, it's not going to be a silver bullet, but um, if I look back to like the stuff that really worked well for Zapier in our early days, it was finding that tight loop. It was finding that customer value and just like going hard after that and kind of kind of just being aloof to everything else in a way. Yeah, I mean, you're right. People can obsess around the wrong things. And I, I think you're right. Obsess is the right word. I would totally obsess over writing code, talking to users and repeating because that's 
that's how you improve the actual product. And I think obsessing over that is, is more important than, than some of the other things that tend to be distractions. And in some cases, if you're watching, not even like peers, so to speak, like competitor peers, but like just sure. general other businesses that are killing it or businesses you aspire or are inspired by, you know, you can be like, well, I want to be like them. And you end up being, you end up trying to emulate them versus talking to your users, you know, rinsing, repeating that process, finding that tight feedback loop. And you end up getting lost and not really finding your own way. Yep. Yeah. hundred percent. Yep. So yeah, if you can, if you can find that, that's, that's the most powerful lever um, as a founder is just getting into that and, and getting your company around it as well. Hiring the people that will carry that torch and uh, make it part of their loop too. So um, yeah, that would, that's, that's the crux of it. That's, that's where I'd spend all my time. Cool. Brian, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much, Adam. All right. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Founders Talk. Do me a favor. If you're enjoying the show, if you love it, if you received any value whatsoever from the stories being shared, share with a friend, head to iTunes, rate it, review the show. If you know how to tweet a link, tweet a link. And of course, thank you to our sponsors, Vettery, Rollbar, and Algolia. Also, thanks to Fastly, our bandwidth partner, and to Fastly.com to learn more. We catch our errors before our users do here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at rollbar.com slash changelog. And we're hosted on Linode cloud servers. Head to linode.com slash changelog. Check them out. Support this show. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.